enjoys Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Hornady Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Swerzik. Appreciate you tuning in on this one. If you would, if you're not already, please subscribe. Consider subscribing. Share this with a friend. Really helps us out. Now, without further ado, getting right into it, everybody's favorite, yeah, everybody's favorite series, I'm going to call it. Uh, we just kind of wrapped up trade show season where mm-hmm. you're going to the big trade shows and stuff. And so you're at these shows, people come into the booth to talk about a lot of things. And the resounding uh, sound was, oh, I love the podcast. Love listening to Jaden. That's cool. Yep. Not even going to say it. So Jaden, thanks for coming on the show for another episode of your, uh, your corner. Oh boy. Well, <laughs> I'm glad I haven't messed up bad enough yet that, that, uh, they want to stop it. I yeah. Guess. No, we, we really enjoy it on a personal level internally as well. And like I said, all of the people that we've talked to, the people in the industry and just the general consumer are really liking this stuff. And good, you know, we've really spanned a whole bunch of ballistic study from early on internal, external, uh, you know, using Ford off over a BC based calculator, uh, got into the dispersion thing and the, we set the internet on fire and, and, uh, ruffled some feathers with the sample size podcast Mm -hmm. well to look at the study of ballistics holistically we're kind of at the end now where okay we're hunters our terminal objective here is to kill an animal quickly ethically and there's so much myth and dogma wrapped up in that just as there has been for everything we've talked about there's been a lot of dogma and a lot of myths Mm -hmm. i feel like terminal ballistics as a as a whole largely not quite understood or understood incorrectly. And you've got a whole bunch of, um, you know, ballistic gurus on YouTube and, and, and gunsmiths on YouTube and things like that, that claim that they know what's going on. And they maybe have a better idea than the general public, but it's got some holes in it. Oh, for sure. It's, it's one of the most misunderstood areas. And I think it's because of our, some of it's because of our exposure to it. Sure. You know, how many, how many times have you pulled a trigger? Quite a few. Like, there's no way to count it, right? Right. But if I give you a couple minutes, you could probably tally up Every how many animal. deer and elk and antelope you've shot. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Prairie dogs would be another story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, terminal spans a pretty wide range. But, yeah. but when we think of our exposure to it, just by nature of hunting and the limitations that exist around it and, and conservation and all that, uh, you, you don't get as much experience in that as you do pulling a trigger or... Mm-hmm pulling the handle on a reloading press or trying this powder or that powder, right? Like the, sure. the, the rest of the, the shooting process is, um, much higher sample size, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Higher sample size. Right. So, but I think that leads to a, a, a big lack of misunderstanding. And I think it's also compounded by maybe the Hollywood effect a little bit more oh. so maybe on like the self-defense aspect than the hunting sure. aspect. Okay. Uh, however, those two are closely tied together in how they work. Yep. Um, but yeah, so maybe popular culture wise, we could define it as there's, there's just a lot of bad information out there. Yep. So. Agreed. A hundred percent agreed. So to get some light shed on this, I know you've been on a couple of other podcasts, you know, uh, the hunt back country podcast. I know you've been on vortex and you've talked about, uh, terminal performance. Um, and I think let's focus this, like you said, it's going to 
bridge a little bit into like self-defense and that kind of stuff, but we're going to focus on hunting or yes. hunting bullets. And mm-hmm. from that, uh, yeah, let's, let's get started on, on maybe first what is misunderstood or, or how that looks, you know, when people talk about terminal performance, you can clearly tell, or at least at our level, you know, we can tell when somebody doesn't quite understand it or doesn't quite know what they're talking about. What does that look like uh, for the for the listener to be able to call out, hey, that guy, you know, maybe not trust that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then let's get into how you define terminal performance and what it looks like. Because I know you have a unique way of, of explaining it because you look at it backwards, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, I think the the light bulb and the connections really, the light bulb went off and the connections really were made for me um, actually when I went to EMT school and oh, sure. kind of the anatomy and physiology portion of that course really connected a lot of dots and I'm not a doctor, I'm not no. a veterinarian, you know, so um, these are, <laughs> but you've done some veterinarian stuff, got a yard full of animals. I out do. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's say growing up in, in the process of hunting, as I understood it by observing it, it was okay. We, we, pick a cartridge or rifle that's suitable for the job and uh, we shoot the animal and we try to target a, a certain area, right? The vital zone mm-hmm. and, uh, and the animal dies. Yeah. Hope that, for the best. And that's kind of the end of the story. And when that progression doesn't happen, there's no, there was no information I was privy to that explained why or what. And so when I say those dots got connected in that EMT school, um, what I mean is the dots of how it works. You know, the, the explanation that was missing in, in that process I just explained is, is, is what kind of came to mind. And so the first part of it was, you know, when we, when we talk about hunting in general, we're hunting mammals, right? Mm-hmm. And so mammals have um, some, some systems uh, that, that I'll use a, I'll use a house analogy uh, to kind of describe this. This is it's not the same thing, obviously, my analogies yeah. are usually off a little bit, but uh but uh, the mammalian animals need oxygen, right? Like we have to breathe, uh, our brain needs oxygen, all of our organs, all of that stuff needs oxygen to operate and, and survive and continue. Right. Um, so this house analogy. So we have three main systems that we look at within the body. We have the nervous system. So you could think of that as like the electrical system in your house. That's the, the light switch, right? And so the nervous system in the body is, is the brain, the spinal cord, you know, obviously nerves and stuff like that. But the yep. main two we're concerned about with like terminal performance is brain and, and spinal cord. Okay. Um, so that's the electrical system. So if you affect those systems, that's like flipping on and off the breaker or a light switch or something like that. It's a, it's a nearly immediate response yep. type deal. Um, and those that have hunted, if you've had, if you've seen or, or uh, experienced a, a spinal shot, on, oh, yeah. on an animal, it's an immediate response, right? Usually the animal just drops in its tracks and, and it's immobilized, incapacitated at that point. Yep. Um, it may not be dead. We'll get into that here in a little bit on incapacitation versus, versus death. But um, nervous system is the electrical, that's the lights. Next, you have the circulatory system. So this would be like the plumbing system in your house, um, especially like if you live out in the country and you have a pump, right? That pump generates pressure and it mm-hmm. pumps that water up through all the pipes in the house. Um the body kind of works in a similar way where the pump is the heart and then the piping system is, is the vein and arteries that, that run throughout the body to carry that oxygenated blood. Okay. Well, that oxygenated blood comes from the respiratory system. So you could kind of think of that like your HVAC, like your, your duct system yeah. in your house that yep. blows hot air or cold air. But in the case of the body, you know, when we, when we breathe in, um, 
the, the diaphragm's contracting and the lungs are, are expanding out due to the increase in volume in the in the chest cavity and that fills with air and then you get an exchange of oxygen in the lungs that gets gets the oxygen into the blood and then it travels through the pipe system and makes sure that all of the cells throughout the body have the oxygen they need, right? Perfect. So with those three systems explained, we can start to tie it into to hunting. So like when we when we go for the vitals, we're targeting a certain area. And there's a reason why we target that because there's two systems wrapped up in that area. Mm-hmm. So when you go for a vital shot, generally the lungs sort of wrap their way around the heart or in the same vicinity of it. And so by targeting that area, we're doubling our odds of affecting two systems at once. If it was a perfect world, what we want is the heart shot. Because if we can shut the pump down, then that pressure in the system drops. And so the oxygenated blood supply is no longer making its way throughout the body, and you'll get pretty rapid um, unconsciousness and incapacitation and, and death preceding that. So with, with the circulatory system, the nervous system, and the respiratory system, we have some timelines that are associated with it. And I think this is really where the information is lacking and the gray area comes in where a guy, you know, we hear this all the time, where a guy will say, you know, I hunt essentially the same, the same hunt every year, right? He might have like a blind and a field and there's a tree line and the deer always come out in that tree line. It's essentially the same shot year to year, yep. right? Very, very little variation. And he'll go out one year with bullet A and he'll shoot a deer and it drops right in its tracks and he's happy as can be, you know, a good ethical harvest. Everything went great, you know, good hunt. The next year he goes out and he's going to try a different bullet, bullet B. And this time when he shoots the animal, or shoots the deer, it runs, you know, 50 or 70 yards back into the tree line and then dies. Well, his perception of that is, well, bullet B is worse than bullet A. Yeah. However, and, and that's valid, right? It took longer for bullet B to, yeah. to, to so if, kill if the animal. That's your, if observation is your only method of understanding terminal performance, which I feel like for a lot of the internet aficionados, that's that's kind of what they're after sure. what they're basing a lot of things on is simply their ob- you know, observations for yeah. lack of a better term and that was me before you know being in this professional capacity where i got to study these things and understand it so mm-hmm. so if that's you out there you know as a listener or a viewer of this uh, don't feel bad like we're all in that boat oh, yeah. at, at one point you know and this information isn't well put out so um so there's timelines associated with this. Those two different examples, bullet A, bullet B, and the, and the effects of those, there was two different timelines associated. Well, if we understand these systems, we can start to back into making sense of why this happened. And it may not be that it was the bullet at all. It may be that it was the bullet, and we'll talk about those characteristics here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about the timelines that are associated with those systems, the nervous system, like we said, is like the light switch. It's nearly immediate. So... If you get that spinal shot or a shot to the brain, it's usually an immediate response to the animal. The difficult part there is the shot placement. Those are pretty small targets, and they're in an area of the animal where it's it's easy to mess it up or miss. Yep. Right? So some people will target that. You know, I know a lot of, of meat hunters that will go out hunting doe or, or something like that, and they are going for the spinal shot for that reason. But again, it's it's more difficult from a shot placement standpoint. When we go to trying to affect the circulatory system and the respiratory system, which is what most of us do in that, that traditional behind-the-shoulders vitals shot, um, we're looking at time that can be anywhere from seconds to weeks for death. Wow. So if we, 
uh, in general, uh, unconsciousness is achieved when you rob oxygenated blood supply to the brain anywhere from, I don't know, let's say five to 15 seconds. So in, uh, another area that this is true in is, is in like martial arts. I was about to say right? that. Yeah. If you weren't going to go there, yeah, I if was. You, if you've never been choked out, um, maybe good go try it with a good professional, but you'll, you'll, you'll be able to experience what I'm about to say. Where, you know, in, in, in that format, when you get choked out, you're, you're just uh, closing off the, the arterial blood supply through the neck to the brain. But quickly that tunnel vision comes in and then stuff goes black and then you're asleep. So you're unconscious. Yeah, next thing you know, you're waking up to, yeah, yeah. staring at the ceiling fan. Right, right. Uh, but if we affect that circulatory system, we make that perfect heart shot and we shut the pump down. The pre- that's what's pressurizing the system. The beating of that heart is keeping the pressure up. We shut that thing down. The pressure is going to get a nat, you know uh, normalize itself out. It's going to drop down, which means there's no longer oxygenated blood getting to the brain, and the brain is kind of the you know the the power system that's sending signals to everything to keep everything on. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the communication center, I guess you could think of it as. And so when the heart gets shut down, there's no more oxygenated blood going to the brain. The brain's going to go unconscious in a matter of seconds. That doesn't mean that death has occurred then. But it looks like it, right? Because right. the animal's motion, uh, from a visual perspective, it looks like death. Um, now, if we if we don't hit the heart, but we affect another part of the circulatory system, let's say a fairly major artery, right? Somewhere near the aorta coming out of the heart. Yeah. Um, the same thing can occur, but it might take longer for it to occur. So if I don't stop the heart from pumping, but I simply damage the aorta or one of the major arteries coming off the off of the heart, that timeline of what we just said of maybe five to 15 seconds, maybe that's extended to 20, 20 seconds to 45 seconds. You see how this timeline is starting to, to, yeah. to progress longer based on what we affect. And then we can also affect an artery that's well away from the heart, but is a major enough artery that eventually, if you poke a hole in that pipe, you're going to cause enough of a pressure drop that in a matter of minutes, you're, you're going to have uh, enough, uh, blood loss for unconsciousness. So that, that time delay can occur with, with simply the circulatory system. Same thing is true with the respiratory system. And in general, with the respiratory system, you're not talking seconds like we were with the circulatory system. You're talking probably minutes to weeks. So if we get a good double lung shot where we've poked essentially four holes, entrance exit on the first lung, entrance exit on the second lung, that chest cavity is, is filling up with uh, air pressure causing the lungs to, to collapse, that can be a matter of minutes. And now you're, you know, the, the pump is still going, the blood is still moving throughout the body, but the, the lungs are no longer able to, to exchange the oxygenate oxygen. It, yep. Exactly. And so that can be a matter of minutes on the fast side for a double lung shot to a matter of weeks. You know, yeah. you just clipped the, the bottom portion of the lung and you've got just a little pressure leak in there. But yeah, you see that with archery hunters, you get a single lung shot on an elk or something and you'll never never see him again. Right, right. And so those those timelines can can really be broad and probably what you're starting to pick up is that shot placement is is pretty key and it's absolutely key. It's the king of it. Always is. Yeah, which we'll we'll go into here. Um some interesting um values I I looked up from um this was from I think the National Library of Medicine. So this is pertaining to people, but again, mammalian species, a lot of yeah. similarities for hunting. Um that uh, the hypoxia tolerance of different tissues. So hypoxia would be the the lack of oxygen, right? 
um, for the brain, that's less than three minutes. And that's that's so actually dead. That's tissue death yep. in, in somewhere less than three minutes, depending on a bunch of details. Uh, kidney and liver was 15 to 20 minutes. So can you, you know, if you shut down your kidney and liver, are you going to die? Yeah, probably at some point. So, you know, there's a timeline there where let's say you get a kidney or liver shot, you completely destroy both of them. That animal can continue for half an hour before maybe succumbing and and finally dying, you know? Uh, Well, that's the, that's the death of that tissue specifically, not necessarily the animal itself, but you kind of see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Skeletal muscle. So, you know, the stuff that we see on the outside, uh, an hour to an hour and a half. And then the, the heart tissue, smooth heart muscle tissue, 24 to 72 hours. Wow. That tissue can, can stay alive. So, so when we think about those you know, metrics from a hunting perspective, that animal's dead as we define it in hunting, but some of that tissue is still alive. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's unconscious, it's not moving, and it's, death has occurred. The brain tissue is, you know, that, that three minutes that we tied to the brain there, that's elapsed. You know, the animal's dead, but that smooth heart tissue can last a little while. That's pretty impressive. And it makes sense when you think about it from like a, you know, a organ donor. I was about to say right? that from a medical standpoint, mm-hmm. you see the, yeah, the organ donor stuff. That's neat that that stuff lasts that long and then obviously can be used. And from an animal standpoint, yeah, you know, you see the, the animal go down, you just assume it's dead, mm-hmm. but there are, yeah, different types of death. Yep. So clinical death and. Yeah, absolutely. So let's. We've talked about those systems and covered that. Let's get into a little bit of incapacitation versus death because those two, being that they can look the same, they they easily get confused. Yep. And so I'm sure there's some hunters out there that have made a good shot on an animal and uh, and walked up and, and had to finish it off, right? I mean, sometimes that hunt that happens in hunting. Yeah. And uh, so that would be an example of incapacitation versus death. Um, incapacitation would be it no longer has the capacity to do something. In this case, let's say move and, and act, you know, somewhat normally or, or have mobility. So incapacitation can come from a whole bunch of different categories. Uh, one of the first ones is the mental state. What is the mental state of that animal when you shoot it? Is it, uh, is it very calm grazing in a field or is it kind of on an alert? You know, uh, it smelled something or yeah. it heard something. Coyote or it just, chasing it. Yeah, just, yeah, just got done with a coyote chasing it. So the mental state of that animal is probably going to play into its response from an incapacitation standpoint. Death is, that's not of the animal's choice. That's a system um, set up. But the incapacitation, there is an element of it that, that can be mental. And same thing with people, right? Mm-hmm. You can see levels of incapacitation in people where uh, you apply just a little bit of pain to somebody and they're completely immobilized and ineffective and another guy just keeps on going. Mm-hmm. You know, So there's that variability and some of that comes from the mental status. Uh, I alluded to there a little bit with pain, um, the animal's tolerance for pain, you know, um, I, I think about, you know, like you said, my, my farm animals, Yeah. you know, my, my dog, uh, Sven, who, you know, well, yeah. he's yeah. like super sensitive to being hurt, like injured. And so he'll overcompensate a lot of times, like get a, get like a sticker in his paw or something. And he won't even put it on the ground. Like you'd think his leg was broken and all it is is a little sticker in his paw. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an indication of his, you know, kind of pain compliance or, or ability to withstand that. So what is that in the animal? I, I don't know. You yeah. know, like if you, if you shoot, shoot that animal and it, and it feels a little bit of pain or something, does it immediately drop because of that pain or does it run? What does it do? Who, who knows? Um, then you have the mechanical side of it, like the skeletal structure. You can incapacitate based on breaking down the skeletal structure. Some people like to do high shoulder shots for that reason, right? Yeah break down that front end of the animal so that it can't run off. Um, 
that'd be another area of incapacitation. And then you can have system-based incapacitations, which are those systems we talked about before, nervous, uh, circulatory, and respiratory system. The animal isn't dead because of it, but they may be incapacitated. Yep. You could also be incapacitated due to disease, right? Um, you get, let's say you get uh, um, like a gut shot animal oh, that yeah. turns it into an infection, septic. right? Yep. It, it, it didn't affect the circulatory system enough to drop the pressure and cause the animal to go unconscious. The respiratory system wasn't affected enough to stop oxygenated blood from being received from the lungs, and the nervous system was unaffected. You still hit them, you still affected them, but it may be weeks or months, you know, before that animal expires. So just some things to think about on that incapacitation versus death. They're not the, they're not the same thing, but a lot right. of times we perceive them that way. Yeah, and I've, I'm a high shoulder shooter till the day I die, probably, yeah. uh, especially on, on deer, because man, in the areas that I've hunted in the past, like, I mean, sometimes there's, there's no margin for error. Like this animal drops where it's standing or in 25 yards, it's on, you know, private property or whatever. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of the high shoulder shot and I've been close enough to animals and taken that shot. But by the time I got to them, they weren't dead. They were incapacitated, couldn't Mm -hmm. get up, couldn't move. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that high shoulder shot for me is you disrupt enough of you get the electrical activity because you're in the high shoulder area. Mm-hmm. You get, you know, hopefully a lung heart area, uh, disrupted with the temporary wound cavity. I just, I can't, can't say enough about it. I will say for a big animal like elk, their tenacity to live is obviously historyed, mm-hmm. And there have been situations that I've seen where elk get hit perfect shot, knock them off their feet where a deer would, be incapacitated and lay there and die and elk will get back up and take off on you they are Uh, so tough and there's the volume of oxygenated blood in in that system is yeah way more than something like a deer and i think they're like i said they're just more robust so yeah you can make a perfect shot with a perfect bullet knock them off their feet and their head whips back and they hit the ground and you're high-fiving and they'll stand up and take off on you yep yep that's absolutely right and and to that point with all this said, you may make a perfect heart shot and the animal still might run off. I mean, how far can an animal run in 10, 20 seconds, yeah, a lot right? further than me. <laughs> right. So like you said, there's still a level of oxygenated blood present around those organs, say the brain, when you shut the pump down. So that, that matter of seconds can mean a whole bunch of different things in the response of the animal. So when we started and we talked about how it's kind of subjective and and we make these judgment calls off the results and they can be kind of vague. That's what we're talking about. There may, there may be absolutely no difference in the performance of bullet A or B or cartridge A or B or shot A or B, whatever those, you know, unique things are that you're trying to compare. The, the effective physical result of them may be identical, but the response of the animal can be different because of the system. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a huge light bulb for me. Uh, I hope that helps people in looking at it in, in that way. Um, so next, maybe we'll get into a little bit of like the, how the bullet works, what the, the wound channel characteristics are like, and, sure. and kind of the shooter priority stuff. So I think we'll, we'll start using visual aids here in a second. So if you are just listening, um, and we've been beat up in the past, hey, we want visual aids, you know, yeah. so uh, hopefully these will, will help those that, that want a little bit of a visual help. We'll do um, our best to explain it, of course. Yeah. Snap safe and Hornady Security have you covered wherever you want. 
Now through the end of March on SnapSafe.com, vault doors are 5% off. Additionally, while supplies last, receive a free trunk safe with your purchase of a vault door that's valued at over $650. Enter promo code VAULTDOOR23 at checkout with your vault door purchase to take advantage of this fantastic promotion. Offer good through March 31st, 2023, or while supplies last. So, you know, here on the slide, we've got uh, uh, bullets are designed for a bunch of different applications. So we're talking terminal performance. We're talking about deer and elk and stuff like that here, but it's pretty broad, right? We have varmint hunting. That's a totally different realm of terminal performance. In in that, we're, we're dealing with an animal that's a matter of a few inches to maybe a foot thick. Yeah. Right. Maybe. Uh, up, up on the coyote level, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe eight to 10 inches. Yep. Um, but the bullet that's going to be designed to do that job is not going to work very well against a Cape Buffalo in Africa. Right. And that's an extreme example, but makes it easy to see. Um, and then you kind of have your, your hunting bullets for, you know, medium and large game. So let's say antelope to to elk or moose, maybe, you know, North American large game. And obviously a lot of the plains game in Africa and throughout the world would fall into that category. And then you have dangerous game hunting, um, which would be like the Cape Buffalo, stuff like that, where uh, just the anatomy of those animals is so big and the bone densities are, there, there's so much meat to those things that it, you kind of have purpose-built bullets for, for those right. uh, purposes. We have target shooting bullets, which are designed to shoot targets. Yep. However, people do use those for hunting. And so we should talk about those and, and what, what they do and how they work. So you understand that low cost plinking ammo, same thing, right? A, a 55 FMJ out of a five, five, six, right? We go to the range and have Classic. fun with the, with the ARs all day long with that. But some people, and I've heard this, have used it for hunting mm-hmm. and your mileage is going to vary. And we'll talk about why. Um, and then we have the law enforcement and the military or the self-defense aspect. Uh, we won't really go into that a whole lot, but these principles still apply there. So we were just on the Vortex podcast recently talking about um, defensive handgun ammunition and kind of went a little bit deeper into the weeds on that subject. Okay. But these are parallel paths, right? There's a lot of crossover. Um, and with all of these different designs, and uh, we have a, a huge uh, velocity window that these things are designed to operate in and some of them cross over, but some of them are very specialized. You know, this bullet's designed to only work here or work here, or it's very broad. So we have to keep all that stuff in mind. Um, but each one of those different bullets has different uh, characteristics as far as, you know, it's, it's uh, dispersion abilities, it's accuracy of the bullet, um, the ballistic efficiency in flight. So the, the BC or the bullets drag, right? We talked about those on the external ballistics podcast. Right, very important. For those play into terminal because sure. uh, most of our bullet designs are velocity dependent, and that velocity is a byproduct of the of the drag. Is one piece of that story. Um, expansion characteristics and penetration characteristics; those are widely variable. You know that varmint bullet's going to be totally different than the dangerous game bullet in those two facets. So we'll we'll talk in a little bit of detail on those. Um, in general, though, with bullets, we have to make a compromise on one level or another. So, so bullets. There's bullets that are generally pretty good for a bunch of different purposes, and there's very specialized ones. And it's important to keep those two separate. Use the right tool for the right job, essentially. Yep. S- simple as that. Yeah. So first off, shot placement is king. Um, this is 
This is highly dependent on, on the accuracy of your shot. You know, how close is your shot hitting to where you were aiming or where you intended it to go? Um, it's, it's, uh, it has its root in uh, ballistic efficiency and flight that you see there. So this allows you to make a ranging error. So how flat shooting is it? Allows you to make a ranging error. Uh, its sensitivity to wind deflection, how bad can you misjudge the wind, mm-hmm. and it not pull you so far off of where you intended to hit that you now have a, a negative result from it. Um, so shot placement is king, but it's based on these other metrics. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll go into this one here. So being that we have dispersion, you know, we talked about this in, uh, what, what did we call that podcast, Not All Your Bullets, or One Whole Groups? Yeah, One Whole Groups. Yeah, so the fact that dispersion exists and not all of your bullets go into the exact same hole is a key consideration for shot placement. Um, the the way that the way that the bullet is going to transfer its energy, which is what we're going to start talking to here, um, is is dependent on shot placement more so with some bullets than others, and and we'll we'll get into that. But um, the the Temporary and permanent cavity. Let's define that before we continue on. So we have an image down here of essentially a side profile of a block of 10% ordnance gelatin that's been shot with a projectile, and, and then it's filled with dye so that you can see the, the wound channel. The permanent cavity is this this kind of dark red track that you see here in the center. Yep. That's the that's the path that the bullet physically took through that media and, and physically moved out of its way. So we'll define that as the permanent cavity. The temporary cavity is this kind of ballooning out or fanning out effects you see of, of disrupted tissue, but the bullet was never there. Right. It never touched any of that stuff. That's the energy transfer of the bullet into that material, causing those those lesions or fissures or tears or whatever you want to think of yeah. that. The material absorbs so much until it physically cannot expand anymore, and so it has to essentially lacerate itself. Right. And so this would be a typical wound channel we'd be looking at with, say, like a hunting-style expanding bullet, like a traditional hunting bullet. Yep. And the reason that the shot placement is is so key, I have some uh, exaggerated examples here, is that I can have a bullet with the best terminal performance, the highest energy, the highest retained weight. I mean, check it off as the highest performer in any metric you could you know, measure it to or compare it as. If I take that bullet and I shoot the animal in the hoof, doesn't matter. Right, right, or, or anywhere where I'm not affecting those systems that we described above. So shot placement is king for that reason. I can also take a bullet that doesn't have any of those very good performing characteristics, and if I put the shot placement perfectly and that thing goes right through the center of the heart, I can have the same effect as the traditional hunting bullet did. Right. So just margin for error goes way down. It does, yep. Yep, that's a good example. And shot placement being first, that is... Uh, yeah, numero uno for very good reason, and and one way I've described it uh, on a on a on the Muley Freak podcast we were talking about terminal performance was in the hierarchy of things. This is generally true for almost all things in a hierarchy mm-hmm. uh, when you're talking about stuff like this. But number one will always beat whatever's number two and three and four mm-hmm. and five. So if you're going to do anything to do yourself a favor. The shot placement is the single most important thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, so now we'll we'll talk about shot placement, being that it's so important, with different bullet designs, and and talk about how those different bullet designs, you know, kind of play into the shot placement piece. Yep, this is also very largely misunderstood. This one is yep. yes, especially with the bullets you're about to talk about. Yeah, you pull the trigger, bang, flop. Oh, wow, that bullet really performed awesome mm-hmm. on this one occasion, and yeah, mileage varies after that. Yeah, so we're gonna talk about you know a boat tail hollow point, a hollow point boat tail. Any of these, you know, match style OTM bullets, open tip match, um, that we commonly see for long range, long distance shooting. Yeah, hyper accurate usually. Yeah. Um, and uh, and also the FMJ falls into this category, a full metal jacket, uh, where these bullets work based off of tumbling or yaw. And so th- this is this is talking about in the say medium to large game hunting bullet class right antelope elk so you will see you know hollow point designs bow to hollow point designs where the where the nose of the bullet the me plat is closed up very tightly that's done for drag purposes it makes your drag lower um but you'll see in like the varmint world where that works fairly effectively you can have a you know an open tip match style varmint bullet that that does what you want it it hits the prairie dog and immediately essentially fragments or expands, you know, 100% immediately or nearly immediately, mm-hmm. which is what you want for a prairie dog. The reason that that occurs with those bullets is because the jackets are so thin. When we start to get into, let's say, you know, 6mm 243 and up class bullets of those designs, which are generally, you know, you know that 243 is the minimum legal in in many areas i know there's places you can hunt with like a 223 or a 556 and energy requirements all that stuff but just to draw a simple line in the sand we'll start at six millimeter and work our way up in in caliber those bullets you you can't make the jacket as thin as you do with those little varmint bullets and construct it in the same manner and you wouldn't want that anyway because you're not using a 30 caliber to necessarily shoot prairie dogs yes you can obviously but, yeah but you're using that to shoot a deer or an antelope or an elk or whatever so what happens with these style of bullets is they the the tips are are drawn up so tightly for drag purposes that even though they have a hollow cavity in the front of them they don't expand and the other extreme end of the spectrum is spectrum is pistol hollow points which do work most of the time but you look at the difference in the hollow cavity of those two yeah. things a, a pistol bullet's going way slower, so it needs a much bigger cavity. But but B, the size of that cavity allows that terminal media to get down inside of it and push it, help push it open. Right. With a rifle bullet, uh, bow to hollow point or open tip match or anything like that, it's drawn up so tightly that you're not getting terminal media inside of there. It's possible that you could by opening that up quite a bit, but now you've you've affected your drag in a negative way. And generally you don't see that. So the way most of these bullets function is based off yaw or tumbling. And so what I mean by that is when the bullet enters the terminal media, it's traveling straight, and at some point it's going to tip end over end, or side for side, or whatever the orientation yeah. might be. And the way that it transfers its energy into the target is because of the increased surface area. You know, when it's flying point forward, the surface area is relatively small. When it, you know, if I use this pen, when it starts to tip this way, and it's traveling yeah. from me to you, this surface area is is transferring quite a bit of energy into that terminal media. But then when it does this, it's back to nothing, and then it does this, and it's back to something, and does this back to nothing. Eventually, the jacket usually tears off, and I'm sure that 
helps things it, uh, in regard to that performance. It does. So generally what you see with these bullets is they enter into the terminal media and they have what we call a really long neck of penetration. So this initial area here, you can see a ruler down here on the bottom. This area where the bullet essentially has a permanent cavity with no temporary cavity would be the neck of, a, uh, a neck of penetration. In this case, you see this, uh, this Bowtail hollow point bullet went in seven to eight inches, just drilling, you know, like a drill bit, essentially, yeah. just drilling a little hole, seven to eight inches, really no energy transfer outside of the permanent track of the bullet. And then here we see that some big energy transfer happened. And what happened there? Well, we can see asymmetric energy transfer, right? Here early on, you can see a big belly down of energy transfer, temporary cavity-wise, but if you look on the opposing side of that, it's fairly narrow, right? What that indicates is that the bullet was yawing there. Likely, it yawed base down at that point because there would be more surface area on the bottom half of the bullet sure. than there would be the, the top half of the bullet. The wound channels kind of tell you a story, too. At 30 cal, probably, on that bullet? That, yeah, that was a 30 cal, and probably it went you know, this was base down yaw here, and then probably base up yaw here. It was flipping itself upside down, and then it's kind of back to an orientation of being forward here. Although at that point, generally what you see is exactly what you said. When when those bullets yaw, um, usually the first, we'll just throw a number out, quarter inch. The top quarter inch of that bullet is just an air gap. There's nothing there. So it's just like a little uh, copper cap, right? Mm -hmm. And so when that thing goes end over end like this, that top portion that's just cop, uh, just a copper cap, there's no lead underneath it to support it, that thing just rips off. Once that thing rips off and it continues to tumble, now the front end of that bullet is just open, right? It's like just the bearing surface and the lead sitting there, you know, obviously part of the ogive too. But now that there's that big gaping hole because the cap was ripped off of it, then generally you see the thing just grenade out. Mm -hmm. But the difficult part is, is you don't know when and where that's going to happen because the bullet yaw characteristics are depending are dependent on a bunch of things that are not within your control. So those things are like listed down here, impact velocity. The impact velocity of that bullet is going to influence when and where it yaws. Minute details on the angle of attack at impact. So the bullet's orientation when it hits the terminal media. If it hits it with a high angle of attack, it's likely to yaw early. If it hits with a near zero angle of attack, it's going to yaw later. Mm -hmm. But neither of those two things are really within your control. Um, the density of the impact material. So if we hit soft tissue, let's say abdominal right. tissue. Right between the ribs. Right, right between, between the ribs where there's that pretty soft cartilage between there versus a rib bone or a leg bone or something shoulder like blade. that. The shoulder blade, the differences in those materials are going to cause that bullet to yaw at different times. If the softer the material is, the deeper the bullet is going to penetrate without yawing. Okay. If it hits something hard, it's going gonna, it's gonna to yaw sooner. Again, that's not really within your control. I mean, we'd probably like to think that our shot placement is so good that we can weave it between two ribs, <laughs> but I kind of doubt it. Yeah. You know, back to that one whole groups uh, yeah. podcast. <laughs> um. The spin rate of the bullet also has a major impact here because we're talking about bullet stability. So if you go back to the gyroscopic stability conversations of the external ballistics podcast, that plays into this here. And so what you see is as a ratio of velocity to spin rate of the bullet, the velocity decays very quickly. Uh, the spin rate does not. And so a lot of times what we'll see with a bowtail hollow point uh, style design is that 
if you shoot it at the muzzle, it may yaw pretty early because the velocity is high and you may get a wound channel where it deposits a bunch of energy kind of right in the sweet spot yeah. of where the vitals would be a couple inches in, right? But as you start stretching the range out, the velocity is decaying, but the spin rate is not. And generally what is associated with that is deeper penetration. So now what you see is these longer and longer necks before anything starts to happen. Mm -hmm. So the difficulty with these bullets are that they were never designed for terminal performance. They were designed for, for shooting targets, right? So if you use one of these bullets for hunting, and there's, there's some that are marketed as hunting bullets when they're a boat tail hollow point, um, your mileage may vary greatly. And I'm sure listeners out there have experienced good results and bad results with them. And that's going to be common. You just don't know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's going to work perfectly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to, it's going to dump that energy right where the heart is. Another time your shot placement's going to be perfect. And I have some images coming up that'll help explain this, but the temporary cavity never got to the heart at all. It, uh, it just went right by it and that animal runs off and you don't recover it. So when you're picking your bullet, this is an important thing to keep in mind. FMJ Botel Hollow Point suffers from a lot of things that, that you don't have in, at your control. Sure. When we get into uh, traditional style hunting bullets or mechanism-based hunting bullets, what I mean by mechanism is they have a mechanism in their design that makes them expand. So for us, you know, we commonly use a polymer tip on many of our hunting bullets, you know, yep. CX, SST, ELDX, um, did I miss VMAX? Uh, did I miss any others? I think that's Interbond. Interbond, yeah. FTX, Monoflex. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep, lever guns. Um, so what that tip does, uh, where the Botel hollow point was dependent on all those things, what it hit, how fast it was going, the angle of attack, all this stuff to make it yaw. What we have here is with that polymer tip in the front of those bullets, when that hits the terminal media, it drives itself back inside the bullet, but you can see there's not enough room inside the bullet for it. And so it starts to force it open, or even you could think of it as build some pressure in there that forces the bullet open. Yep. So that's really nice because now the dependence on uh, angle of attack, which is normal for bullet flight, it's not really going to be sensitive to that. You know, within a couple degree angle of attack is, is going to be normal on projectile flight, and the, the tip-based expansion is not really sensitive to that. The density of the target media you hit now no longer really matters because as long as that bullet hits something that's hard enough to make the tip push back in or the lead spire point yep. to, to, to deform that lead, the bullet is going to open the, the same way every time. So now when we hit soft tissue between the ribs or the rib or hard shoulder or, or uh, shoulder blade, whatever it may be, all different densities and shapes, doesn't matter. The bullet still performs. It, it opens the exact same way every time. So this gives you consistency in your results. Um, and what you see there is a totally different wound channel. You see that the neck of penetration with these style of bullets is generally very short in a matter of less than a couple inches. And then you see a rapid and uniform, it's symmetrical on both sides of the wound channel, yep. um, transfer of energy. And what that shows you is that the bullet's expanding. So as you see this temporary cavity is getting larger, what that tells you is that the rate of expansion of the bullet, the increase in its frontal surface area, is occurring at a faster rate than the velocity loss is occurring, which means that you're putting more energy, you're transferring more energy in. At the peak right here, where it's at its maximum energy transfer, that's the one-to-one -one match of the expansion rate of the projectile to the rate that it's losing velocity. And then as it starts to taper off on the backside here, what you see there is the expansion is either 
not expanding as quickly as it's losing velocity or it's stopped and this is simply just fixed frontal area with velocity loss that's occurring here. But the other benefit that you'll see with these bullets is generally a straight line track. Of penetration. Of penetration. Key. Well, key, yes, because when you go back to that Bowtail hollow point or FMJ style bullet, generally they don't penetrate straight. Because of that yawing mechanism, they don't, they're, uh, shape-wise, they're not symmetric, right? We're not shooting a cylinder. And so as it yaws, it's going to have a tendency to yaw. It's going to go at an angle. It's not going to go straight. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a huge deal if you're not taking a standard broadside shot. Yeah, if you're quartered away. Absolutely. Huge. Absolutely. So those straight tracks of those bullets are very important when it comes to hunting. Now, what we do see these bullets are dependent on is impact velocity. So where the Bowtail hollow point and FMJ they can essentially yaw anywhere, velocity dependent, right? They are still dependent to it, but the mechanism at which they transfer energy is yaw. They can yaw anywhere in there, but none of that's really within your control. These bullets are designed to expand within a certain velocity range, and we publish that information, you know, on, on right. all our stuff. Um, so that's really the only dependence you have with this bullet is is keeping it in the velocity window it's designed to work at. If you do that, you're good. It's, it's going to work. So that's pretty nice. Now, if we look at those two different, uh, those two different bullet designs, the FMJ Botel hollow point versus the expanding style bullet, and we mess up our shot placement a little bit. I do this every once in a while. I mean, usually my shot placement is perfect. <sighs> yeah. When I do my part. Yeah. Um, no, but in reality, when we look at the, when we look at the temporary cavity here, what that temporary cavity is, is our error box that we can screw up our shot placement by and still affect the system that we're trying to affect. So here would be an example of, so that I have a little green dot here that's, that's superimposed on these um, gelatin shots. Yeah. At the same location, if you're, yes, if you're wise, viewing yep. this, uh, it looks like they're in different spots, but it's because one bullet penetrated significantly deeper than the other. That's right. Uh, so it had to uh, add another gel block. So the perspective's a little off. Yep. So let's say this is a heart, right? This little green circle here is the heart. And we have it at a depth of nine inches. I could easily believe that's the depth of a heart on many of, you know, antelope, deer. Yeah. Elk, it's probably a bit deeper than that. You know, moose, probably a little bit deeper than that. Um, but what we have is the heart's placed at nine inches on this image, and it's also placed on nine inches on this image. And you can see that with the traditional uh, tip-based mechanism expansion, that even though our shot placement was bad, our permanent cavity never touched the heart, that heart is still enveloped by that temporary cavity there. So we're right. still going to have an effect on that system. If we look down here at this one, we missed by the same amount. I mean, we're talking we missed by a couple inches here and a couple inches here, exact same amount. But in this case, we're not going to affect the heart at all. I mean, there may be some effect, right, the, the ripple of energy, but yeah. nowhere near what this is going to do. This right. is actually going to tear heart tissue up. This one is probably not. This was that boat tail hollow point design. And so you can kind of see where, you know, the, the, the wound channel characteristic allows you to screw up and still get the effect you want. Yeah, that's and what I'm after. Absolutely. I mean, I only missed due to the wind, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're exactly right. I mean. We know we're going to mess up. We're, we have dispersion. We're humans. We're not perfect. The wind blows. Yeah. Uh, my bipod falls off the rock that it's resting on, whatever it may be. Uh, yeah, just uncomfortable shooting position as a whole. Yep. So the more that I can hedge my bets to, to success by picking a bullet that gives me a bigger margin of error, the better off I am. Right on.
So with shot placement being king, and we kind of beat that one to death, yeah. uh, or incapacitation, uh, let's talk about what is second most important, which is penetration. So the reason that it's the second most important is because we can have a bullet that gives us perfect shot placement and has really great energy transfer, but if that energy transfer or the bullet's permanent cavity never get deep enough to affect the systems we're affecting, it's a moot point. Right. So the extreme example here would be taking a VMAX bullet and shooting a Cape Buffalo with it. That bullet's going to dump all of its energy. It has yeah. some pretty cool terminal performance characteristics to it. However, on a Cape Buffalo, he's going to shrug that off. You know, he's, yeah. it's, it's not going to incapacitate him at all, really. Um, so penetration is second most important. And here's an easy, you know, example there where, again, we have a heart. Let's say this is more like on maybe a moose. Or a or quartering some, shot. Or quartering shot, absolutely. So we have a depth of the heart at, say, 17, you know, 16 to 17 inches here. And we see with this bullet where it stopped just shy at 16 inches. This wound channel is going to do some damage for sure. You're going to have an effect. You're going to oh, cause yeah. some leaks, right? There's going to be some pressure drop in that circulatory system from that. But is it enough to cause that immediate incapacitation and death that we're looking for? Possibly not when we look back to those timelines we talked about earlier. However, here, what we see is that we have a, an immense amount of, of tissue damage that occurs early, but that straight line track of the bullet still punched right through the heart. So having enough penetration is, is still important, but right. it's second to shot placement. So a little, a little recap there with, with those two things considered, uh, shot placement and um, penetration. So the, the match bullets and the target bullets, the Botel hollow points, even our ELD match bullets, you know, we don't recommend those for hunting. Right. Um, they weren't built for that. Uh, they're, they're kind of the ultimate for accuracy, right? You're not going to find bullets out there that shoot more accurately. So from a shot, solely shot placement perspective, those bullets are gold. That's what you would pick. However, that's not the only consideration. They have the ultimate, you know, in-flight efficiency, you could think of it as. So they minimize your error box for wind and range error and all these other things. But again, that's not the only consideration. Mm -hmm. When we look at the terminal performance aspect of them, they're not designed for it. And so the mileage may vary. So although they're the king of dispersion and accuracy, and they're the king of aerodynamic efficiency, and they rate the highest in those two categories, the fact that they have essentially no reliable, repeatable terminal performance means we shouldn't use them. Right. And even the ELD match that has the polymer tip to that is you know, defined as the mechanical aid to aid to initiate expansion the jackets just like a vote to hollow point are paper thin mm -hmm. no taper to them no, nothing mechanically holding the bullet together uh so yeah those jackets and because of their thin nature um yeah like you always you've mentioned here several times the mileage may vary sometimes yeah. it might work perfect sometimes it's not going to work at all right and that's why we don't recommend them because we didn't build them for that right so um here's a really good example of general hunting bullets um so this would be let's say classic interlock yeah interlock uh even sst probably mm -hmm. um bonded bullets interbond right? yeah right and and bullets from other manufacturers what we see here is generally the accuracy or, or dispersion is pretty good right they don't shoot quite with the match bullets will they don't shoot those little bug hole groups sure um, but they're pretty dang good uh they have general efficiency you know ballistically in flight too they're not the highest bc they're not the race the race car shape but they, they're no slouch either right we're not shooting a round ball um but they're they're more general when we get down to uh the terminal performance rating of them expansion and penetration they're generally pretty good mm -hmm. i mean that's what these things are built for 
However, what they do suffer from a little bit is that velocity window that they're designed to work within. That's a, that's a fixed limit based on the design of the bullet. Well, being that they aren't quite the most efficient in flight, that means you're going to leave a little bit on the table as far as how broad the application of these bullets are. Right. However, when they work, they work awesome. You, yep. know, you look at, here's a 100-yard shot, you got a two or three-inch neck of penetration, nice uniform uh, symmetrical expansion, and penetration all the way to about 18 inches with this bullet here. Yeah, can't ask more than that. Mm -hmm. Out of a general-use hunting bullet inside of 400 yards, that would be perfect. Yep. Here's that exact same bullet at 800 yards. What does it look like? Not good. It looks like a Bowtail hollow point does. Yep. And why is that? Because the impact velocity at 800 yards for this bullet is outside of its design envelope. And so what that means is that mechanism that causes it to expand, the tip, is no longer working because the bullet's not moving fast enough when it impacts to, to drive that and initiate it. And so what happens is it yaws just like a Bowtail hollow point does. And you see those very long necks of penetration, asymmetrical energy transfer, the whole the whole problem. So that's another consideration. Yep. Like you start getting Bowtail hollow point type erratic performance from a traditional hunting bullet, you're probably using it outside of its design category. Yep. And in today, you know, it's 2023. There's a lot of chronographs out there, a lot of good chronographs out there, and a lot of good ballistic calculators. So between a good you know, chronograph and a good muzzle velocity, and then a ballistic calculator like Ford off, mm -hmm. you don't have to question what your impact velocity is going to be because the, the, the tools are out there for you to know that. So right. years ago, this could have been definitely a problem where, you know, you really didn't have the best idea of what your impact velocity was going to be at a given range, but the tools are out there and available to every hunter today to not make this mistake because there are better tools out there for the job. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and for the guy that's doing, you know, general hunting inside of 400, Take your pick at which one of these you want to oh, use because yeah, they're, they're all be great. awesome. Um, but if you're getting that once in a lifetime, you know, sheep hunt out in one of the western states, and uh, you've trained and you've got the capability to to take that five or six hundred yard shot, probably shouldn't use those bullets you're used to using. You know, yeah. across the field, find something a little more. Uh, find something built for that. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so that was kind of the lead tip uh, bullet stuff. When we get into the polymer tip bullet stuff, we've uh, this. This data here is from the ELDX, and the ELDX is kind of a revolutionary bullet design terminally. We were able to do something with that bullet that we had never done with traditional bullets. And what it was is, um, you know, kind of the adage is it's a, it's a hunting bullet that you can win a match with. So the jacket design of that bullet and, and the way that it gets thicker in the interlock that it has allowed us to manufacture that bullet in a way where the levels of dispersion that it shoots are on par with match bullets, which right. is huge. I mean, yeah. remember, shot placement is our king. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's very important. Now, they also are race car shaped, right? The, the, the drag of these bullets is very low. They're, they really reduce your sensitivity to range estimation errors and wind errors. Now, when it comes to the expansion and the penetration, what we see is a totally different animal where the wound channel tracks that we had before kind of ballooned out to the max and then tapered off and then you had the permanent cavity where the bullet came to rest. That's the the stereotypical what you'd expect to see for a general expanding hunting bullet. Well put, yes. Yep. What we see with the ELDX is a, we call it continuous expansion. And so if you look at the wound channel, you don't see that rapid ballooning up and then rapid tapering off as much you see it more lengthened out yeah it's linear and more gradual yep it's more gradual and it holds on longer and then tapers off and the reason for that is 
as that bullet expands, it's kind of in a continuous rate of expansion and flow instead of just expand to max and stop. And so in doing that, that's a byproduct of getting the bullet to work at those lower velocities. And what you see at the lower velocities is the wound channels look very, very similar yeah, to do. these higher impact velocities. Penetration depths are very similar. And so even though the impact velocities are different, the terminal performance you get is, is very similar. So the ELDX broke the mold for us on what a traditional hunting bullet could do, or what a hunting bullet could do, yeah, in comparison to the traditionals especially. Um, so here's a good example of that, you know, the rapid expansion. You see how quickly this wound channel just goes straight to max, where yeah. this guy here, it's much more gradual. You're hitting, you know, max way down here. Um, now, the, the rate of expansion, which is kind of what these gel images uh, show you, will influence the penetration depth. Sure so the, the faster that bullet expands, the more rapidly the surface area up front gets bigger, generally the shallower the penetration depths become. Okay. Extreme side of that's the varmint bullets, right? Yeah. They go from zero expansion or deformation of the bullet in flight to 100% in like as short a distance as possible. Yeah. And the penetration depths are very short on those bullets, but for, for a good reason for the design for varmint hunting. Um, so just understand that in general, when you get more expansion, you get less penetration. When you get less expansion, you get more penetration. And those two things can be independent of velocity. So a lot of times uh, you ask somebody, do you think the faster bullet will penetrate more or less? And a lot of people will say, well, it'll penetrate more. It's going faster. And in reality, it penetrates less. Because it's expanding faster. That's right. Because it's going faster, it's expanding faster. Because it's expanding faster, it's penetrating less. So there's, there's some slide rule effect that's going on there. Um, but but kind of back to it, uh, the, let's call it the shooter's priority list. Um, bullet choice is number one. You need to pick a bullet that's intended and designed to do what you're trying to do. Yep. Number two is shot placement because shot placement's king. So let's say you have two bullets. Both of them are uh, designed to do what you're intending to do. And you shoot both of them out of your rifle and one of them shoots substantially better than the other. I would err towards that one, even sure. if it was higher drag or higher recoil. Or, so you had to trade off some other characteristic for it. Yep. Shot placement's king, you know, so... Yep. I, I would be, uh, I'd be very hesitant to trade off shot placement ability for some other less important metric. Like you said, you know, it's yeah, how whatever's, works. whatever's number one beats number two and number three. And I guess I feel like you may have not caused confusion or misspoke, but in this analogy, the first thing you have to do is select your bullet properly and thoughtfully. Once you select your bullet, then the hierarchy is number one shot placement. You mentioned yes. it as number two and that was kind of confusing for a second. Yeah. Gotcha. So. Go through your, your bullet choice and selection. This is a great time to put a plug in for our technical support team. Uh, you can call up our tech staff at 800-338-3220, extension 3. All those guys up there that answer the phone, they know the product. They know the use case for every product. They all hunt. They all shoot. They all reload. And they can help you make the right choice uh, on those big hunts that you have coming up. Uh, but, yeah, do your due diligence. Select the right bullet. And then once you have your bullet selected, Number one is shot placement. Yeah. And then penetration. You have to have enough. It's, it's, it's not like it's all shot placement and no consideration to anything else. Like yeah. Penetration is very critical. We walked through that. Yeah, absolutely. And then expansion is kind of your third one because the, the expansion generates that temporary cavity. How that temporary cavity forms and where it forms gives you your error box. You yep. know? So 
So hopefully that helps people a little bit, uh, especially tied with the the timing of things, uh, of incapacitation and death. Um, but there are some other things I think we should bring up in Terminal, which sure. would be uh, energy and, and retained weight, and if you have any others. But th- those are kind of like these standby <sighs> metrics. Dude, you know? the energy is the, the ultimate dogma in, yes. the, in the world of Terminal Performance. You have to have. 1500 foot pounds left if you're going to kill a deer which is in my opinion ridiculous yeah Uh, the reason that that's ridiculous is because i can take a 50 bmg with a 750 grain amax and that system in a general general barrel length right has way more energy than any other traditional hunting setup that we're going to shoot if i take that system and i shoot an animal, make a good shot in the vitals, and that bullet is, de- is not designed to expand, and I just poke a hole through it, what happened to that energy? It's out the other side. Stayed with the bullet. Yeah. The, what, what ma- does energy matter? Yes, but not as a singular point of concentration. Energy matters in that you want to have the energy. To transfer. To transfer, exactly. If you, you can have all the energy in the world, but if it stays with the bullet and it exits out, exits out the backside by just poking a single hole through it, there's no temporary transfer of energy. Mm-hmm. Does it matter? Is energy king then? Nope. I would argue no. So energy is important because you need to have it. However, what's more important is how it's deposited, and that goes back into those terminal performance, you know, kind of characteristics of different bullet designs. Uh, the retained weight thing. Retained weight gets a gets a a lot of consideration because of the risk of a jacket core separation. Yeah. So a jacket core separation also another huge misunderstanding in the world of jacket core separations, but yes. go ahead, sorry. So uh, for those that aren't aware, a jacket core separation is when the the bullet starts to enter the terminal media, maybe it's deforming or expanding and something happens to where the jacket and core separate from each other. And now you've essentially split your mass into two independent pieces. And the general result of that is that you don't get the penetration (laughs) penetration depth or the wound track, uh, the tracking of that, you know, your shot, your your shot placement you intend to hit here so that it tracks straight into the heart. A lot of times you won't get that if a bullet jacket core separates, you'll get divergence from the path that you intended it on. Both of those things are bad. The important question about jacket core separation though is when does it occur a jacket core separation early in the bullet's terminal travel within the first couple inches is certainly bad that's not good right but once in a while you'll pull a bullet out of an animal at you know the offside shoulder and when you pull it out the core falls out of the jacket and people will say this is a jacket core separation a bullet failure but you pulled it out of a dead animal that was on the ground and it penetrated 18 20 25 inches yeah that bullet could not penetrate that far if it jacket core separated early on. Because if it did, you split that, that mass into two independent pieces, it no longer can get that deep. Penetration will be shallow. And so it's, it's a bit of a fallacy. But we, the, the shot placement thing, or I'm sorry, the uh, jacket core separation thing and the retained weight thing need to be kept in context of where they occur at. Absolutely. So I can also have a bullet that has 100% retained weight. I can shoot an FMJ and likely have 100% retained weight. However, my energy transfer is erratic. It may not happen at all. It could just poke all the way through. So those old metrics that a lot of us hold on to as this is the line in the sand, you know, if it doesn't do this, it won't work. 
uh, we're ignorant to how it works. And with yep. this whole explanation, I hope that if you held that belief before that it's this amount of energy or nothing, or it's, you know, the jacket and the core absolutely have to stay together under every circumstance, that this storyline and how it works will help you understand that there are circumstances where that's not necessarily true. Right. Um, and the ELDX is a case that every once in a while we'll see where we pull an ELDX out of, uh, out of an animal and you can pull the jacket and core out. The reason that that happens, or pull them away from each other is what I mean, uh, and the reason that that happens is that because of that continuous rate of expansion, lead is softer than copper. The, the rate of the lead flow due to the expansion is faster than the copper. And so actually what happens is that, that that lead column that's down inside the bullet, as it's expanding up here, it's actually drawing the bottom up because mm -hmm. this is expanding at a faster rate than the copper underneath it is. And so by the end, a lot of times what you'll see is you'll have that nice expanded lead cap but the depth of that cap is this shallow mm. or the jacket depth is like that. Yep. You know? I, prime example was this year, uh, we had some hunters here from Denmark. Thomas shot his first whitetail buck, shot a nice, nice little buck, 6.5 Creedmoor, 143 grain ELDX, 100 yards. Couldn't get more picture perfect in, you know, southwestern Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And so he hits the deer, made an absolutely awesome shot, took the top off the heart. It went 40 yards. And, uh, when we were, uh, came up to it, you could feel the bullet or what we presumed was a bullet. And it was on the off side, almost trying to poke out through the skin, which is pretty typical in my experience with an ELDX. Mm -hmm. And so he took the knife and he cut it out, uh, and pulled it out. And what he pulled out was, uh, a lead mushroom top, if mm -hmm. you will, with not much of a, what I'm gonna call a stem on it. And then the bullet jacket. And he asked if this was normal. And I was like, that was a quartering shot. You went 24 inches. You went two feet into this animal. And the last part, you know, at the end, you recovered this right here. That's could not get more picture perfect than that. Yep. And although that those two pieces are technically separated, it's the, it, like you said, there's context to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is a finite amount of lead in a bullet. And as it's flowing and expanding and transferring energy and causing that tissue damage and drawing up from the bottom of the jacket, there's only so much in there. Right. And, uh, yeah we took time to explain how that's exactly what we would expect to see in that situation. Yep. And, uh, again, a lot of, a lot of myth revolving around just that topic right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we designed it that way. Like you're, you're in a constant state of energy transfer that way. You know, yeah. we, we used the whole bullet, you know, yeah. by the time, by the time it came to rest, we used the whole bullet. Um, another one maybe to bring up is the old uh, argument of, I want, to find the bullet on the right under the offside hide, or I want two holes. I want an ex yeah. entrance and an exit. I think there's some validity to both uh, within reason. So is the two holes better than one? Nothing else considered? Yeah, probably. For tracking purposes, the likelihood of getting yeah. some blood to come out you well, know, two holes just higher than one. more air in the chest cavity to collapse the lungs. Absolutely. However, what that means is that not all the energy stayed in the animal to some extent. So the question becomes how much energy did stayed with the bullet that exited? In my opinion, the absolutely perfect scenario would be a bullet that is just about to stop and tears through the hide on the offside and falls straight to the ground. Yeah. Meaning it dumped all, I mean, 99.9% .9 of its energy into the animal was expended. And then it just petered out the side with two holes. That yep. would be the ultimate situation. However, with enough variation in animals and shots and all this stuff, yeah. uh, that's that's next to impossible.
but being that that is next to impossible every time, I prefer finding the bullet on the the hide on the offside. Yeah. Uh, because I know that all the energy went into the animal for that to occur. Um, that exit piece, I, I don't know how much I'm leaving on the table. It's it's pretty hard to quantify. Yeah. So yeah, it is. Yeah, and different uh, different strokes for different folks. Some people love shooting, you know, monolithic or bonded bullets, and they absolutely have to have an exit, which is fine. And uh, there's some people not so concerned with it. I'm in that camp of I, I, I'm not really sold on it. I much prefer to shoot a lead core bullet that I'm really accurate with and can find, uh, you know, maybe on the offside shoulder, maybe it exits. I'm really indifferent in that. And I get asked all the time, what's your favorite bullet? If you had to pick one, and it's the ELDX, mm-hmm. it's the hunting bullet you can win a match with. I trust every hunt I've ever been on. Uh, you know, I can, I trust to that bullet that that that's going to work yeah and in the widest variety of shot situations that i'll find myself in mm-hmm. and it does yeah and uh yeah i think one not necessarily myth but we talked about energy and people getting fixated on energy and you probably mentioned this throughout the podcast or the undertone was certainly there energy is cool to find the level of energy that you have it's a calculation dependent on velocity mm-hmm. and i'm much more concerned with impact velocity than I am with impact energy for, for sure for the most part because like you've said velocity makes bullets work mm-hmm. and uh, once you know what velocity window your bullets are designed for you can hunt with that much more confidence you can pull up a calculator look at a range card and know that at that range I'm hitting with however many feet per second that may be and feel good about it right yep I agree get into the reloading red zone with reloading tools from Hornady Innovation, craftsmanship, and reliability. Hornady reloading presses are built with American pride and backed by our legendary no-risk warranty. Hand load precision with tools from Hornady. Well, that's kind of the summary of, of what I had. I mean, do you have any questions or... Mm, trying to think of what would be listener questions uh, that or questions that have come in from listeners, but I really think this hit pretty much everything. I think the house analogy makes it really digestible for for somebody who's never even started to study terminal ballistics and to to make sense of those, and then to break things down on individual systems basis. You know, the electrical system, the central nervous system, and the respiratory system, and and how all those can be affected in different ways independently, sometimes together. Um, yeah, it really adds a lot of context to the observation of this bullet worked good or it didn't work good. Now there's some little bit more science to it, for yeah. lack of a better term, and the visual aids are always super helpful as well. Good, good. Well, that stuff's, that stuff's helped me. Like I said, when those light bulbs started to turn on, it's like, oh, there is more to this than simply like point <laughs> shoot thing happen. Yeah, know? right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm getting excited. I know we're, it's March. I'm already thinking hunting season 2023. Yeah. I mean, it's just what makes the world go around in this part of the country and, and at this place of employment. Yeah. I've been watching the, the whitetail run from that one pasture to the other on that road I oh, take to yeah, work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like, man, we got a couple months here to wait, but uh, yeah, going to start. I'm, I'm smiling inside. Yep. We're going to be going out, finding some sheds here soon, hopefully. And that's yeah. going on around the country. I was actually just got back from Wyoming, saw some mule deer with an antler on the head or Did two. You? Yeah. Which was, you know, I figured they had to drop by now, but yeah. 
yeah, it just fuels the passion. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to get out and put some more ELDXs to use. Yes, sir. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if you don't have anything else, I suppose we can wrap this one up on a, on another Quinlan's Corner. All right. Sounds good. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely, guys. Drop a comment. Uh, reach out to us, podcast at hornady.com. We'd love to hear from you guys, especially if there's things that weren't clear or weren't defined or, or are questions relating to this topic that you want uh, some more clarity on. We can get those to the people and uh, get them answered for you. So, yeah, good point. Yeah. And awesome. I think I think there's some more deep dives that we need to go on. Oh, I'd yeah. Say this is kind of like maybe the last like general. Now we'll start you know, getting specific. Yeah, yeah, we can get more specific, I guess. Awesome. Well, I'll be waiting with bated breath. We always love having you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me on this one. No problem. Thanks, Seth. Guys, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast, taking that deep dive into terminal performance, how it works, and getting into a little bit of the bullet design and application study. This is what we do. We've been doing this since 1949. It's what we're passionate about, and uh, we hope to share some of that information with you. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you on the next one.